Hi, how is everyone doing? This is Isaac Winoto, the host and founder of the Footprints Podcast, presented by Gen Digital Productions. We went on a brief pause for quite a while, but now we're back. In case you're new here, this podcast is not just your regular one-on-one interview, but instead, we're a platform that cares about the digital world we live in, its future, and the unique people behind it straight into your ears. We've had various guests who've walked different ways of life. Shared stories unheard of. For me to decide that I want to be a singer, it's Mike Mohede. I wouldn't want to be a singer. And showed us the light at the end of their footprints. Zach, you're going to make mistakes in your life. Trust me, you're going to make mistakes. But the key is to learn from them. Be aware in the more literal sense of knowing what's happening in the world. We want to see color. When I see your color, I must be proud and I must see it as something beautiful. But Starting this month, we're kicking it into another gear. From underrated young guests, world-renowned artists, and CEOs with passion to make a difference, you'll listen to more voices, more passions, and for sure, more stories that make these heroes who they are today. Just sit back, enjoy, and stay tuned for more. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Footprints Podcast. My name is Isaac Winoda, your host, and we will explore the footprints of today's heroes and tomorrow's leaders today. Before we start, today's conversation is available on both Spotify and YouTube, so um, wherever you find your podcasts, be sure to listen to them. My guest today is Ellie Bourne, Jakarta-raised, a Northwestern wildcat, and the author of her first ever contemporary fiction novel, Dia Beraroma Kunyit, or in English, She Smells of Turmeric. What's up, Natasha? Hi, Isaac. I'm good. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> it's great. It's great. Um, we are currently in the middle of summer break, so it's at yeah. least good to have some sort of uh, break from, you know, all the Zoom fatigue and everything. And you're still in Jakarta right now, right? Hoping to come back to campus, you know, on the fall? Yes, I'm definitely going back in the fall. Um, I've been here for way too long. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. That's great. Year. Yeah. Right, right, right. All right. So before we start, I know this is something that you've done as well in another podcast, but we want to do some, you know, rapid fire answers, right? Um, so I'm going to ask you some finish the sentence questions. Okay. Are you up for the challenge? Sure. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. All right, then. All right. So my first question is, a TV show that makes me cry is... Oh, that God. was not rapid fire. <laughs> I know, that was supposed to be rapid fire, but like, I can't think good. of any. Okay, the last TV show, I, I can't cry in TV shows. I'm like really bad at it. Mm-hmm. The last TV show that made me cry was The Vampire Diaries. Like it was it was like a couple years ago and it was this one scene where one of the characters' mothers died and I just, I bawled. It was like really sad because the way they presented it was really sad. Got it, yeah. got it. The Vampire Diaries. Next one. <laughs> so bad. That's <laughs> <laughs> all good. All right. Um, let's just blame the internet connection. But anyway, uh, Indonesia is... Diverse. Mm, that's awesome. The person who makes me smile the most is... Does it have to be a person? It can be a dog? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay, person would be my mom. Okay. Dog. Uh, I have five dogs. I can't Ooh. discriminate. So, so you can't pick a favorite? I can't, sorry. Okay. It's, it's all good, it's all good. Uh, your dogs your dogs will respect you for that one. Yes. Next one. My favorite spice is... Turmeric. There you go. And finally, <laughs> Natasha Sondak is... Me. 
Okay, okay, okay. I, know, I, I know like it. So being real, being authentic. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm all for that, right? Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh I think you you nailed it. Besides that first question, um everything yeah. was it, it was great. It was great. Uh, so so far so good. Before we jump into your story, there's definitely a lot of congratulations that I would like to go through. So, let's just give you your flowers first, right? First of all, obviously, congratulations on releasing and publishing your first ever contemporary fiction novel. Mm-hmm. And congratulations as well on the collaboration with Kinokuniya, being on top of several, you know, awards lists in, I think, in Amazon as well. And yeah, having your book out in different places. So definitely, congratulations for that uh, amazing feat. Thank you. But before we get into all the questions, let's dive into April the 13th, 2021. What did that day feel like to you well um, okay i think i should first say april 30th was the day that i announced the book's publication but the book was technically published two days before so yeah i guess i'll talk about both because the the one that like when the book was finally published that was a lot more dramatic um and that's probably the answer you want to hear right right so April 28th was actually the date when She Spells of Turmeric was officially published. The reason why I didn't announce it on the 28th was because I wanted to give myself a two-day leeway to like get right. everything in order, like, you know, like social media captions, emails, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, on the 28th, when I got notification that the book was finally published, I remember crying. Wow. And it wasn't, it wasn't like... I don't know. It wasn't like, it obviously wasn't sadness. I was, I was extremely happy because, you know, this book was something that I've dreamt about for years, right? I've been wanting to publish my own book since I was six and I'm 20. So that's 14 years in the making. And it's, it's a surreal feeling. So it was a lot of joy. But what I wasn't anticipating was also a mix of, you know, anxiety and relief. Like, right. I was relieved in the sense that, you know, at the time, you know, April 30th was or like, yeah, just that, that week mm-hmm. we were close to having midterms. And that was the first this was the first quarter in, you know, the whole academic year that I've taken a full load of classes. Right. So it was so I was kind of relieved, like, oh, thank God I have like a big burden off my back. Like I can focus on other things now, but I was proven wrong really quickly because <laughs> the book I had other stuff to do uh, in terms of marketing. and other things for she smells of turmeric yeah so that was relief uh but i also felt a decent amount of anxiety because Mm -hmm. i realized that you know at this point my life was gonna change like maybe not drastically like i knew that i wasn't gonna be jk rowling overnight but the change kind of scared me because i'm very much an introvert and i honestly don't like being in the spotlight Mm -hmm. so i know that that was gonna change and that you know yeah, that like it was, it was scary, you know, because it is yeah. it, it's a milestone. Yes. And I, I celebrate it, but you can't help but feel scared. And I, at first, I kind of like slapped myself. I was like, why are you complaining? Like, this is amazing. Like, this is something exactly. that you dreamt of your whole life. Got right? it. And I think the day after, uh, like the 29th or like that weekend, I don't remember exactly when, but I watched this video by Jen Im, who's like, she's a Korean American YouTube personality and she announced her pregnancy. And in that video, she basically talked about like, okay, I know basically what I was going through. It was like, 
you know, I'm pregnant. It's supposed to be a good thing, but I'm scared of shit. But yeah, like she was really scared. Um, and she and she said, you know, it's it's okay to feel happy and like anxious or like inside at the same sure. time. Right. Like it's not like it shouldn't be a linear feeling. And that's when I was like, okay, okay, maybe I'm like, maybe it's fine that like I feel, mm-hmm. you know, not like I'm I was really happy, yes, but like not, you know, like a hundred percent happy, if that right. makes sense. So that kind of affirmation was really useful. Mm-hmm. And then on the 30th come launch day. Honestly, I didn't really feel much <laughs> because it was just so overwhelming, yeah. um, you know, to like post everything, mm-hmm. you know, get all the marketing material in order. For sure. And like, yeah, it was it was just honestly pretty stressful. So that was just a day where I replied to a lot of people and like thanked a lot of people. And the responses I was seeing on social media and also based on my sales dashboard on Amazon um, was really overwhelming. Um, it was like overwhelmingly positive. Yes. Mm-hmm. Especially because the book was a number one new release like shortly after, but yeah, it was definitely a mix of those three emotions that was right, really right, right. that weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I think that your experiences are relevant to all creators, right? So like if a YouTuber starts, you know, just releasing that publish, just clicking that publish button on YouTube, when that video is out, then they start feeling anxious, like, oh, shit, how is this going to yeah. go? Like, am I going to get uh, all the views? Are people going to like it? And, you know, for everyone, like, it, it's like probably TV, you know, personalities. Um, you can go on and on, right? But what I think is interesting is that for April 28th to happen, or, you know, just that week in general, there was definitely a lot of planning and sacrifice, Right. 10 months of writing, going through this pandemic that is still getting worse as we speak here in Jakarta, um, dealing with your own thoughts, and eventually birthing out 92,000 words and 418 pages that became bestsellers on the day of release. It was definitely not an easy process. So talk to me about what motivated you to write this novel in the first place. And sort of what kept you going? So I was actually very motivated by the fact that Indonesia isn't represented um, yeah. properly in Western literature. You know, like as a kid, I traveled to the U.S. pretty often because, like, I was mm-hmm. born in I was born in the U.S. So, um, and we have family there, so like we went back um, at least twice a year mm-hmm. um, for throughout my elementary and like high school years. So that, that's like twelve years. That's a very long time, right? Yeah. So. Because of this constant, you know, this constant travel back and forth to the U.S., I was always confronted with the reality that is my life in Jakarta versus, like, a drummed-up reality of L.A., right? Because I was always juxtaposing these two places at the same time, right? So because of this juxtaposition and because... Um, of this constant comparison, I started to feel really insecure about being Indonesian. And it didn't help that when I grew older, as in like, well, not that old, like middle school, high school time, I was met with a lot of like microaggressions and stereotypes and condescension for being Indonesian. I think I'm definitely not the only one who's experienced this, but, you know, like a lot of people have asked me, 
um, oh, wait, you're from Indonesia. Oh my God. Do you guys listen to Taylor Swift? Do you know who Taylor Swift is? I'm like, yeah, I love Taylor Swift. They're like, oh my God, that's awesome. Do you, you have, so you have Wi-Fi? And I'm like, yeah, we do have Wi-Fi. It's so it's like, it's like really dumb questions. And I know yeah. that, I mean, yes, they are, they are really annoying and they are kind of offensive to some extent, but, um, you know, you can't really blame them either because these comments are genuine and they're coming from a place of, um, I don't want to say ignorance because they're not being ignorant, but it's just For a sure. lack of knowledge, right? Like people just exactly. don't know about yeah. Indonesia and like they assume that Indo is what a stereotypical poor country in the global South mm-hmm. looks like, which is, it's not, right? Yeah. So in a way, writing She Smells of Turmeric was for me to represent Indonesia in um, Western culture so that more people will know about us. And so that hopefully, like the goal is that from by reading She Smells of Turmeric, someone would be more intrigued to learn more about Indonesia, yes. perhaps travel here. But even if they don't get to that level, then at least have a better understanding of how dynamic this place is, mm-hmm. you know. Right, 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 right. And I feel like, you know, the themes of, so I've been reading the book as well. Haven't finished it. Definitely will finish it. Um, But I feel that, you know, the themes of identity, belonging, as much as the experiences that you put out in the book might not be directly, you know, sort of, uh, okay, I actually experienced this. It's not, you know, the same experience for everyone, but they're relatable in a sense that, you know, they talk about identity. They like everyone can resonate with this belonging theme, right? And and that's what just makes it powerful. This is definitely that uh, something that I want to get into later, but mm-hmm. I want to talk about your process first, right? So right. as much as developing the characters, the plot, you know, I remember you talking about your sticky notes as well, right? Yes. <laughs> that was as much of a difficult journey I would imagine, but what I love is that it started with a lot of detailed research. Yeah. From interviews, you know, car rides around Jakarta, and yeah. the thing that you attached uh, at the back of your book, you know, those photographs that you took. That that wasn't me, by the way. That was um a friend. That was your friend, right? <laughs> yeah. Right, right. It's amazing. Um, so let's start with those interviews. I love how you explored, you know, more of the Indonesian culture and experience through talking with a lot of people, which is something that I'm doing here as well in a podcast. But was there a story or experience that sort of really hit home with you? Yeah, well, I actually started with research because even though I consider myself like a local, mm-hmm. my that actually would hinder me from writing from Cecilia's point of view because I would be blinded, right? Like by the differences between Indonesia and America. So I, the first person I interviewed, and actually this is the interview I relied on most to write mm-hmm. the book was my cousin because my cousin moved from California to Jakarta when she was 13, I think like 12 or 13. So she was mature enough to like see the differences and like to have her own opinions about each place. Right. So our conversation actually started off by us just talking about the very surface level details and it's stuff that I guess are like quite standard and like, things that I also know myself, you know, Mm -hmm. but she like expanded on it and it was really helpful. So an example of that would be, you know, like how Indonesia, well, I guess Asian countries in general are more uh, family oriented. They're more like communities, uh, community centric, whereas in the US or like in the West, people are more individualistic, right? So 
happened. It was these differences that were like, okay, okay, yeah. And then she would kind of break mm-hmm. down how specifically. Um, and that was that was extremely helpful. But the one thing that really struck me was when she mentioned how in her early years in Jakarta, she felt really isolated mm-hmm. because her classmates and friends were speaking in colloquial Indo, like, you know, like, gua, gua, lulu, gua, lulu, you know, yeah. Like yeah. Right. And she didn't know how to speak Indo well. Like she couldn't, uh-huh. like she could speak Indo, but as you know, the colloquial Indo is very different from like the For Indo sure. you put in textbooks, right? So she, so because of that gap, she felt very isolated, very, mm-hmm. very isolated. So she told me like, yeah, maybe if, if, if you want to isolate Cecilia further, like this is something that you could use. And I was like, Wow, and I remember I I had this like eureka moment, right? Because I've never experienced a language barrier that bad. Because again, mm-hmm. like the quote, you've unquote, been here sort of for twelve years in yeah. the Jakarta system, in the Indonesian system, yeah. Exactly, exactly, and like I can speak Indo like relatively well, and like right. when I go to the U.S., I only need to speak English, right? Mm-hmm. So. I, I had this like eureka moment because at, at that point I was also trying to figure out, okay, well, I don't want to have all the characters be like mono-ethnic, you know, like I don't want all the characters to be like Indonesian Chinese. Sure. Um, I want diversity in there. Like I don't want, um, and like, I also want to represent the classism that exists in Indonesia, right? Like, how do I do that? Like how would Cecilia mm-hmm. interact with people who don't know how to speak English, right? Yeah. And this like was just solve the problem uh because so i decided essentially to make the locals that that cc interacts with so these are like the maids the drivers from her uh, oma's house or like her grandma's house Mm -hmm. and i made them speak either no or like very poor english and this was a very difficult choice like i didn't know at the time but like Mm -hmm. i stuck with it but it was actually very constraining because as someone who's like a native English speaker, having to kind of like shrink my vocabulary down yes. to like a few words and having to use those few words to communicate very powerful things. Um, mm-hmm. not, I don't think you've, I don't know if you've gotten to that point yet, but. I've seen I'm, instances of that. So it's just like, yeah, you know, right. it, it shows very limited vocabulary, but it, like mm-hmm. I can directly like, okay, that's, that's very relatable yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the hardest part I had about like the whole language barrier part was there was a chapter. It's kind of at the like the later quarter of the book, like the last quarter of the book. But um, Mm -hmm. like I'm not going to spoil it, but essentially Cecilia has a conversation with uh, the maid at Oma's house and they talk about a topic that is very deep, you know. So it's like, how would you communicate a deep topic in English? with very limited vocabulary, right? Like it was really mm-hmm. difficult. And I remember my mom, when she was reading an early version of the book as mm-hmm. a beta reader, she had me change some of the English words that this maid used because she was like, this is too advanced. It's not accurate right. um, to how non-English speaking locals would, you know, how they would talk. And right. like, uh, like it was, yeah, it was a really, it was a really fun um, and a very hard exercise, but I think it was very eye-opening because it showed me the struggles that people had and like the frustrations that a lot of immigrants have when they move from a country that is not predominantly English-speaking to the Anglosphere, right? Mm-hmm. And the struggle, yeah, the struggles are a lot more pronounced and like, yeah. um, especially now with the rise of anti-Asian hatred 
and crimes against the anti the the Asian community, it's especially important that we acknowledge like how far sure. these immigrants go, like come from, I guess. Definitely yeah, like how far they how far they've come to like arrive at like the decent amount of success that they have now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like it's definitely going to be tough for uh, you know, I feel for uh, your cousin you said, I think. Um, because I would imagine her experience to be, okay, you come to Indonesia and then, okay, you know, for me to be able to talk with my Indonesian friends and sort of be able to talk, uh, you know, be able to at least uh, communicate with them, I'll learn my bahasa. I'll learn my yeah. uh, bahasa Indonesia baku, gitu kan? But yeah. then you realize that bahasa Indonesia baku yang lu pelajari beda sekali dengan yang diobrolin di misalnya kayak di tongkrongan or like, you know, in just yeah, like... Makanya. Yeah. Just like friend groups, right? So that yeah. was definitely something that, you know, I'm really grateful that I am in a position di mana I'm able to speak that Bahasa Indonesia, but also grateful to be able to be exposed to, you know, uh, going to a U.S. school and sort of joining several summer camps here and there for me to be able to sharpen my English as well. But yeah. in reality, not everyone has the same experiences. So that, you know, exactly. makes it tough as well. Exactly. Yeah. Very interesting. And that sort of shows me how, you know, just one conversation can sort of give you that eureka moment, right? You mentioned. So that is very eye-opening. Let's go to the photographs now. You talked about photographs, right? And you also, obviously, uh, your friend took pictures of them, uh, put it, you know, in black and white uh, at the end of their book. But photographs that for so long seemed so ordinary to me, you tailored it to have such a special meaning. What are so special about the experiences you went through, you know, just driving around or actually, I don't know, driving or being driven around uh, in the car (laughs) and the stories you learned, you know, during these photo taking experiences? Yeah. um, So actually, I was being driven, but like, okay, it was because I needed to I needed to like actually have like a camera ready so I could like take pictures and like Mm -hmm. document stuff. Like actually take videos. Definitely don't want to multitask that. Exactly, that's not (laughs) a good idea. So I I asked my friend to come, and like he was the one who who drove me. He wasn't the one who took pictures, by the way, because like uh, different friend. But um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was very interesting because both me and the guy that came with me, we were both from this from like South Jakarta, um, and a lot of the places we went to are in like the north and like places that we normally wouldn't go to especially yes. not during the pandemic mm-hmm. and yeah it was it was actually really fun because it was just like a it was a very like chill road trip which was yeah. nice to get away from mm-hmm. home and it was also really interesting to see jakarta in a new light yeah, because sure. you know when you when you're doing research or like when you're observing things from a different point of view you tend to take in more detail so um i was able to kind of like notice details that i wouldn't have previously noticed if i just driven through to go to a restaurant or like on the way to somewhere right Mm -hmm. so the different elements in the city were, were actually very were very important to me to capture especially because these are places that you can't exactly capture with just like a photograph on Google, if that makes sense. So like, for example, a lot of the places we, a lot of the places we went to weren't actually like places. They're more like roads because I Mm -hmm. needed to see how Cece would get from point A to point B and like what she would observe, right? In that, in that time. And like the, the chapter that highlights that would, for example, be the third one where like she arrives in Jakarta 
is like taking in Jakarta for the first time and she's like driving past uh, she's like driving from the airport home mm-hmm. right yep so yep. that journey i needed uh, that like road and like where she where she was going to go what she was going to observe like that i needed to see for myself right because i can't there there's no there's no reference photo otherwise for sure so yeah it was really interesting to like notice the different elements that would kind of play come into play together and stuff but the difficult part actually came when I had to start writing because I had to translate what was happening in a pandemic to what would happen under normal in real life. Exactly. Yeah. And that's hard because I had yeah. to rely a lot on my memory. And, you know, like usually if you're in a car, if you're on like Jalan Tol, you don't necessarily you don't necessarily see like oh yeah itu ada di 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 sebelah sini ada tukang becak like yeah. jalan gitu like because you don't you don't notice mm-hmm. these things right exactly so the covet would have to be yeah like trying to imagine mm-hmm. what would happen um obviously in the book and like she smells of turmeric no one's wearing masks uh, no one's social distancing so i had to like use my imagination to put more people in these places <laughs> and also having to rely on memory to describe how people will move in these spaces. Mm-hmm. So an example of that would be like in a cafe, for example, like I, let's say Pison Cafe, which is in Sanapati. Right. I've, I haven't, I haven't gone there since the pandemic. So I relied on a reference photo that I've taken like years, well, last year, I guess, well, two years ago when I last went and I had to basically rely on memory right like how do people move in between the tables like how do they mm-hmm. like you know yeah like, i don't know i guess like just typical people movement because that's important to establish even even if it doesn't make it into the book yeah definitely definitely i think your attention to detail and you know those descriptive elements they really sort of breathe life into the book right i, I read chapter three already and i think during your book reading in the kinokuniya event you also read a chapter that also sort of described you know just like cecilia going to senopathy and that kind of stuff which is very interesting and i think Definitely the dedication that comes into that, you know, going there, actually, it's different than just like looking at the roads in Google Maps, let's say, and then having to combine that with your previous high school experiences that that that's a lot, but really props to you for being able to nail that. And we've for sure, for sure. And we've been talking about Cecilia so much that I want to ask how much of Cecilia Potri was actually Natasha Sondak, right? This is something that I've talked about as well uh, with my team. And then one thing that they said, okay, one powerful statement that Natasha always says is that, you know, the power of a book is that you get an inside look directly into someone's thoughts and feelings, right? So yeah. how much of your thoughts and feelings were Cecilia Potri's? Um, Well, I guess to some extent, um, in every piece of art, the artist always injects their own their own consciousness and their own self into the characters. That's amazing. Whether it's one character or more, you know, like a part of a part of you will always rest in the art that you create, right? So to some extent, yeah, like Cecilia does have elements of me, but so so does Faith, so does Grace, so does Omashan, you know? Yeah. So it's like, okay. it's all of these people that have somewhat impacted me or like have said a couple lines to me and like have mm-hmm. made impressions on me like they most of these things made it into the book mm-hmm. and yeah like as you said right uh i couldn't i definitely couldn't have written the emotions that cecilia felt throughout 
the book without feeling them myself mm-hmm. because yeah like That's even though amazing. the yeah like because like the things that cc experienced weren't mine like i've For i sure. never done in scbd nor do i plan to anytime soon right. <laughs> but but like the, the fear that she feels of like being in the dark and like being almost chased by a homeless man mm. like that that fear i've experienced yes. you know yep 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 and like i guess yeah i guess okay i'll tell you like i'll tell you like a little example of like sure. how this this thing kind of overlaps because i think it's 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 a lot more interesting um if you can see it kind of manifest on like a more foundational level okay so this would be the first few chapters of, oh, sorry, first few pages of the first chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the scene where Cece's dad passes away. So yeah, and that that's not a spoiler. It's literally in the first sentence. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, like the first, the first draft of that specific scene was actually only two paragraphs long. And the feedback that I received from my editor was to expand it and make it a bigger part of the story because it is very significant like, because her dad's death is very significant to Cece's character throughout the book right mm. so okay so in between writing the first draft and like coming back to it for edits I had like I think three weeks of a, of a gap which is pretty good but right. I yeah like during that during that time period my dog who I grew up with for 12 years because he's he's um well yeah it was short of turning 12 but he passed away very suddenly like he he fell sick one day and then two days later he passed away and like until today we still don't know why he passed away and his death really impacted me and like on a certain level I mean maybe some people might be thinking like oh my god like it's just a dog like calm down but like I'm an only child, like I have step siblings, but I grew up alone and leader was always there for me when I had no one to talk to. Like I would literally talk to him and like he would always listen and look at me and stuff. And he he would even he even sleeps in my room. Right. So his loss was extremely crushing for me. And it was the mere thought of like when someone if someone says, I'm sorry, that your dog passed away, I would like cry. It was it was really bad. And that was me for at least two weeks. So that was when I really felt what it meant to lose someone that you love, right? And that's how I felt everything. And processing leader's death really showed me how to write Cece's grief. So when wow. it came time for me to edit the book, like edit She Smells of Turmeric after Leader passed away, I basically translated all that grief and anger and frustration that I felt fresh out of, you know, recently having lost Leader into Cece's story. So the whole first, the whole section on James's death, it was like James is Cece's dad. Yeah. On James's death is literally just me processing the death of Leader. But like obviously wow. amped up because this is Cece's father, right? Not Cece's dog. Definitely. And yeah, and like I guess to like tie a ribbon to that whole, um, to that whole, to leader inspiring that first page, that first few pages, I wrote him into the story as Oma's dog. So leader will always live in She Smells of Turmeric. So if you like, yeah, when y'all read it and you see like the miniature schnauzer, yes, that 
by Oma all the time. That's leader. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, deepest condolences as well to your dog. Okay. And I feel like, you know, when these quotes, you know, when you scroll on Instagram and you see those uh, quotes on like black background and just white, you know, life is short, uh, make the most out of it. It's just like, okay, you like it. You're like, okay. Yeah. Th- that's true but when something or you know like an experience like let's say someone you love actually passes away or you know that sort of experience that hits you differently it's like when you yeah. read that quote it's like it totally changes your perspective right so for sure so yeah i mean i like for for those people who is just like you know it's 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 just your dog i feel like you know you have to look at the overall bigger picture this is something that can affect someone and definitely it's it was very powerful that this uh, sort of experience was, you know, transferred into, you know, just writing that first chapter. And definitely this is something that first time that I uh, heard it, then I was like, damn, this is it's great how you <laughs> pulled that experience in. Yeah, definitely. That, that was amazing. And I really love how, you know, the author's uh, consciousness is poured into different aspects of the book. And I remember reading in the uh, foreword, I think that's what he called it, right? Is it a foreword or the prologue? The foreword? Right, forward, right, right. Yeah. And you said that this book, as much as it as you want it to sort of help other people learn more about Indonesia, it's also sort of a therapeutic process for you. Yeah. You became more aware of your own Indonesian identity. You learned more about yourself. So what did you learn more about yourself after publishing this book about your own self-identity? Because obviously it's a big theme that you highlighted and I that I feel as well is something that you want to sort of show to the world but what was it like for you i guess hmm, it's like through through the book right like it's right not right like right the book. Okay. so, so uh, you know after those countless hours uh, writing and sort of just saying okay this is this is what i want to put out what did you learn more about your own identity well honestly yeah like i've always struggled with my confidence um like okay. people have like I always rely on other people to tell me if I'm good at, if I'm good at something. Mm-hmm. Um, and on that same vein, I would try to rely on people to make decisions for me. Like right. it's as it's just as simple as like, oh, do you prefer I don't this chair or this chair? Like I would I would say, okay, I prefer the first chair, but what, what do, do you, you think? think? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like I'm always like that. Right. So yeah, anyway, well, back to the book. Mm-hmm. I've actually never written a fiction piece that's as long as She Smells of Turmeric. Mm-hmm. In fact, the reason why I transitioned from uh, writing short fiction, basically throughout my elementary and middle school years, mm-hmm. into poetry in high school, which became the foundation for my technical writing skills and like my 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 career. It was because I couldn't write a, write a fiction piece from start to finish to save my life. So when this opportunity came up to write a book, I picked fiction because I figured, you know what, it's a pandemic and like I don't want to spend this much time on a book if people are not going to read it. And as you yeah. know, poetry readership is very small, right? So yeah, like it was even that in itself was already like a big challenge for me and I mm-hmm. wasn't sure if I was going to be ready to take it up even though actually I was I just came fresh from a class that was that taught us all how to write fiction mm-hmm. um, anyway so yeah like I guess as a kid my parents have always emphasized 
the value of humility, which is great. And like, honestly, humility is extremely important, but because they emphasize it so often, I tend to confuse confidence and arrogance because like the one thing I don't want to be is arrogant. And sometimes the lines blur, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because sometimes an overly confident person can come across as arrogant, especially if you're, you know, if you're Mm -hmm. in Asia, right? So this plus like the whole fear of writing, of like tackling a challenge that I've never done before uh, and a personal event um, had actually sent my confidence just like spiral. Like, oh yeah, and COVID too. Yeah, all of that. So, <laughs> so when I finished She Smells of Turmeric, I think I finished it on Halloween 2020. Um, that was like the first draft. That plus hosting a successful presale that was something that I never thought I would be able to do. Again, this is me coming from, this is coming from someone who has uh, switched from writing, you know, fiction to like, I don't know, five lines of poetry. (laughs) So yeah, it was like, even that, like for me to be able to accomplish that much was like, I was like, what, like how, right? And Mm -hmm. I've actually felt like, I felt very confident at that point because I was like, wow, okay, I can really like, if I want to do something, I can, right? And like it, the fear of like not being good enough, like the imposter syndrome wow. that I felt was just like gone. And like, I know that this is not the best way to get rid of mm-hmm. the imposter syndrome and all of that, but it did give me, but this did give me a lot of drive to finish the book strong, like during the edits and market it well so that more people can access this book and see what is yeah and see what it truly is about like see what Indonesia is about and like as you know the book does also talk a lot about identity right like imposter syndrome and like fitting in and belonging and like I and these are messages that I really want people to hone in and like so that plus like this new surge of confidence gave me a lot of motivation to actually like push right Um, And I remember, I think it was, yeah, like yesterday, wait, no, sorry. Wow. It's been three days. Yeah. Three days ago, you know, Skinny Indonesian released their last video. Wow. Yeah. And I think at the end, the message that Kajo said was like, basically, kalau anak depok yang yang dulunya, apa hidupnya susah kalau mereka bisa berkarya dan bisa sukses kayak begini mm-hmm. then anyone else can do it too mm-hmm. and i acknowledge that i'm not from depok i do come from a privileged background tapi maksudnya it's some like i still have my own insecurities i have my own challenges and the fact that i was able to overcome them means that anyone else can too you know mm-hmm. so it's like it's kind of this realization and like all the puzzle pieces coming together even with this right. book that made me feel a lot more confident with how I presented myself, which is helpful because especially in this period when we're doing a lot of interviews and also by the way, I like see myself. Does that make sense? I think that's a very powerful thing. And it's something that people should, you know, that people should be okay with. Like you should be okay if for loving yourself, you know, like you shouldn't beat yourself down for being happy with yourself. You know what I mean? And that's something that I feel like a lot of, uh, Indonesians are lacking. I love that a lot. And I think I sort of relate to those uh, experiences and those, you know, struggles as well. You, you said it. You said you're an introvert uh, only child. Yeah, I, I'm also yeah. an only child. And then 
somewhat, I think I'm like in a, a 55-45 sort of like, a, a, maybe an ambivert or just skewing a little to the introvert side. Yeah. But definitely like overthinking, sort of sometimes feeling anxious in different moments. That happens as well. Wait, wait, remind me, were you a student council president as well? I was, yes. Okay, I was as well. So so, so definitely the same, right? Like as student body president, you you like you have to do a lot of speeches and stuff like that. But yeah. sometimes it after like when you go down the podium or that kind of stuff, it's like you feel like shit, I could have done better. Shit, I messed yeah. up, right? There's yeah, always exactly. that feeling. And you know, going to a top 10 school as well, sometimes we are sort of uh we look at ev- what everyone is doing and we're like, okay, they're doing so much great things. What am what am I, right? So oh, I feel yeah, yeah and, and, and I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm and I'm just gonna open it up here. Uh sometimes like the thing about Zoom that I don't really like, or or just you know just uh, video conferences in general, is that if there's an environment where uh, I feel is very you know sort of tense, you have to look at yourself so you get self aware instead of you know just being in a normal setting. And yeah, the way I do that is sometimes I just hide self view. But yeah, so so those are some struggles that happen to you know me and I and for sure a lot of people. But the thing that I want to get here is I believe that. You know, just realizing that you are good enough, realizing that you can do it. It's just amazing. And I really love that you brought Skinny Indonesian up. Shout out Andovi Jovial. Um, but the seeds that they planted are the seeds that we can we can look at as yeah, as as, as just like beautiful byproducts, right? Uh, yeah, definitely. They've uh put 10 years into Indonesia's entertainment ecosystem and they showed us kita aja bisa bikin kayak gini loh. Yeah. Right, so yeah. that sort of sets an example for us, uh, which yeah. is really amazing. I totally felt that because, yeah. like, I started watching Skinny. Um, I know, yeah, this Loki gonna be like a tribute <laughs> to the both of them, but yeah, this is. Right. Um, but it's, it's the truth. Like, I started watching Skinny when I was in middle school, I think, or like mm. early high school, and I remember thinking, like, oh my god, Indonesia is actually pretty cool, and that that was yeah. what kind of jump started my journey into like from you know being insecure about indo to like actually being like oh like being more proud i guess For of sure. being indonesian because the number of people that can represent us in media are extremely small and exactly. like i mean it's growing now like we have joey alexander and like rich brian and like nikki and stephanie putri but still like there's a lot more room for improvement Mm-hmm. And they were the ones who jump-started this whole movement of like Indonesia going global in the you know in like the entertainment industry. So yes, yes, yeah, definitely. And and I also love the fact that they they came from like being not known to to you know from being voiceless to having a voice, right? So yeah, uh, that exactly. that sort of makes it uh, even more amazing. Yeah. I'm glad that this process made you learn more about your self-identity. Just one last question before we get into the draft. This podcast is all about youth empowerment, right? We want, uh, as you said, we want to highlight those who have, you know, uh, shown a bright light for Indonesia and sort of in whatever walk of life that they are, sort of show that we can do it as a nation. We can do it together. We've seen over the years how countries like Korea, China, they're slowly getting more, you know, global exposure with K-pop, Korean drama. Uh, in China, probably, you know, those those tech companies, Alibaba, um, yeah, th- th- those big, uh, there are, you know, those countries like Korea and China, they've shown advancements in whatever field that is. When will Indonesia be able to make this global breakthrough in your uh, opinion? Well, okay, I think something I should preface is that 
yeah. people forget that that Korea and the Korean entertainment was only was only able to go global as in like you know the Korean wave in the early 2000s and right. has you know has even has grown even bigger today mm-hmm. it wasn't an overnight thing for sure it was because the South Korean Minister of Culture decided to invest and develop South mm-hmm. Korea's media sector after um, the war. Mm-hmm. I, like I don't remember when exactly, but I remember that you know that he was the one who like set the grounds for mm-hmm. entertainment in Korea to like skyrocket, right? So in on that same vein, Indonesia's breakthrough will only depend on will not only depend will well it's one of the factors but it will depend on how many indonesians are willing to put themselves out there for people to discover us right. like as a country mm-hmm. but also on the different people who are willing to invest in our in our media and these are more like conglomerates um yes. like companies and investors who want to memperkembangkan right our media sector mm-hmm. so like korean entertainment like i'm also a consumer of like k-drama and like not so much k-pop more k-drama right. so like i i actually used a lot of my, my reference for she smells of turmeric was actually a lot of k-drama like not not plot wise but i used k-drama as an avenue to study characters and plot development because the for way sure. that they develop characters is absolutely amazing and it's it's seamless it's like i don't know it's 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 amazing so i while it's an interesting story i also use it for um to learn mm-hmm. but anyway but yeah like korean entertainment i feel like has a major global breakthrough because like one they have an insane talent right like yeah. you see bts they're like dancing for 10 minutes straight and they're not even out of breath and they're still singing and they're That's so crazy. coordinated mm-hmm. it's like okay hats off but that talent yep. doesn't come with like grit like a lot of hard yes. work that no one mm-hmm. sees behind the scenes and this is something that people don't want to do right like even even this book like people say oh my god it took you it only took you 10 months like yeah okay but like i also sacrificed a lot in those 10 months like i didn't you know covid was one thing but i also you know i didn't didn't meet a lot of, a lot of people because yeah. i had to on the book i mm-hmm. had to cancel on like appointments and like i even had to underload on classes to focus Definitely. on this book right yeah, so it was yeah. it's a lot of sacrifice and it was also 14 years of like hard work and like right. technical right. training right to get to mm-hmm. this point and the third point the third thing about like why korea why korea was able to have such a big global breakthrough mm-hmm. is because the entertainment agencies have insanely good global marketing campaigns who's the ambassador yeah. of the media it's literally bts it's bts it's blackpink <laughs> yeah it's That's like right. like how, how yeah. did they even reach her like we how right exactly so people like be if you're talented like that's great but that's not enough like mm-hmm. you need to be you, people need to know that you're talented like that's the whole point of marketing right. yep right exactly And like practicing, like practicing your talent is just as necessary as like getting your name out there yep. because no one gets good overnight. And that's something that, you know, people kind of forget, I guess. And like something that I always try to tell uh, like people I've like mentored or like people mm-hmm. who have spoken to me about writing before is that you, you should never compare 
the draft that your your first draft with someone else's last draft. This is my last draft. Like, yeah, wow. And if you're if you're working if you're working on if you're working on a piece, like whatever piece it is, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you people tend to be overwhelmed because they're like, oh my god, I'm I'm like not as good as Stephen King, but you don't know how many drafts Stephen King exactly get to that point right Right. so like practice is so important but Mm. so is marketing and i feel like if indonesia wants to get to the point where korea is well okay first of all it's going to take a very long time because korea also took like at least 20 years but you know it's possible but we just need to have really good marketing and really good people who want to work hard at it you know that's great Right, yeah. right. Uh, dan kalau misalnya gue bisa simpulin, I think that we have, for me, myself, and, you know, sort of getting from your answers, I think we have to start with our values. And I'm going to, uh, gue bakal cantumin dua hal, uh, one value and one quote that I think really resonates with what you say. The first one is gotong royong, something that you've yeah. also so talked about as well. Yeah. Gotong royong has to happen... Uh, from all different uh, sort of entities, right? There has to be collaboration from uh, the government, from the conglomerates, from the uh, from the citizens, uh, from the businesses as well. And I think one thing is that if, you know, let's say the government makes uh, a policy, it has to outlive the person as well because, yeah. you know, right. it, it, yeah. it, it, uh, there's going to be turnover, right? Uh, yeah. Every four to five years. And I think one thing that was powerful then gue bakal indonesiakan adalah Uh, what you said about the process. There's a saying in Bahasa that proses tidak pernah menyangkal hasil, right? And and I think this is something that really goes with what you said. The amount of countless hours, the pain, the sacrifice that goes through a piece. Uh, when people look at the finished product, they're like, wow, keren banget. But, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's not that easy. You have yeah, to go exactly. through like... If we go to Skinny Indonesian again... Did you watch the pensinya mereka pentas suara Indonesia? So <laughs> belum ya, but 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 they basically made a uh, like a medley of like 30, 40 uh, Indonesian songs oh, wow. that they created into like a Kanye West uh, sort of setting. So it's very interesting. Oh my God, that's awesome. And when I saw the behind the scenes, they did it from October of last year. Yeah. So, so so that's like a lot of like you have to put time into that. It's not like a one week or two week thing even. Natasha, thank you so much. It's, you know, all the values that you've given are definitely very relevant. And I'm sure that my listeners can take away a lot from what you said here. Thank you. But before we finish, <laughs> let's go to the draft. And because I think you said just now that your readers have been, you know, sort of amazed by the way you describe food. <laughs> L- let's do a food draft, right? <laughs> okay. So top five Indonesian foods that so so create a menu or like you know show me what are the five Indonesian foods that you would like to eat directly you know just imagine yourself arriving back home in Jakarta after you know months in Evanston and then what are the five foods that you want to eat just a bit of a context I am three and zero in these drafts the episode the previous episode before this with Piat I won on a narrow margin fifty four to forty six oh, so okay but I'm still undefeated so there's a lot. <laughs> from your side to be able to give me my first loss. But since you're the guest, you go first and then I'll go second and then we'll take turns. Okay. Whew. Top five foods. Okay. Um, about me, I am. Okay. So that's your first one? About me, I am? Great, yeah. great, great. All right. So that's your first pick and why about me, I am? 
I don't know. It's just so good. I can't explain. Exactly. <laughs> it's just exactly. so good. Like right, right. I, I stopped eating. I stopped eating red meat, mm-hmm. but I still, I still eat chicken. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I just, I crave it so much from time to time. Like maybe, maybe sure. it's cause like it's, it's, it's like a staple food. It is. Definitely. From bakmi jam, bro. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I have one bakmi ayam and like I have to order that like every two weeks. It's just too yeah, amazing. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. That's right, right. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So bakmi ayam with your first pick. I'm gonna start with something light. I'm gonna start with a snack. Bakwan jagung. That's my first pick. Oh, I love bakwan jagung. Right. My my mbak makes it so well. It's like it's, I, it's, you it's can't match it. Yeah, you it's can't. The best. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Bakmi ayam, bakwan jagung. Your your second pick. Well, yeah, all like I think my picks are all gonna be like main food. Business. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Uh, Ah, Mmm, that's amazing. But not the one from Jogja because the one from Jogja is too sweet in my opinion. So, so which one? Jawa. The ones Jawa made Timur? in Jakarta. I oh, like. Jakarta's okay. Yeah, like I mean, it, it's it's still mm-hmm. it's still supposed to be the one from Jogja, but I feel like the ones that are like authentically from Jogja are like mm-hmm. really sweet. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Yeah. So my second pick, uh, I'm gonna go sayur asam. You know, just the mix of flavors oh, there <laughs> and spices. So I took okay. your pick. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. No, no, no. Good choice. Good choice. Yes. All right. Your third pick. Telur belado. Ooh, it's not Indonesian with a bit of spicy. Yeah, a bit of spicy. Right, I right, I right. love I love spice. So like yeah, yes. a lot of balado is the best. It's mm-hmm. like I don't know. It's just the combination between like the balado, like the tomato part of like yeah. the sauce balado plus like the fried the fried Ooh. like boiled fried egg. Oh my god, so good and like, it's so crunchy. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think it's not like that like spicy as like samyang that sort of hits you so it's like the yeah. it's like a delicate balance right yeah awesome yeah, exactly. awesome I, I, i'm gonna go big uh right now with my third pick i'm gonna go nasi goreng kambing nasi goreng <laughs> i know that this might sway people to uh, tasha's side but yeah for me i think that's that's very hearty that's that's a great meal and i think that everyone should try nasi goreng kambing I think it depends because like some nasi goreng kambing can be like kayak bau gitu loh. Nah, you know what I mean? Dia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kebon sirih is the best one. Oh, oh really? You know that one? Yeah, that, that's the best one. I can't eat it. It's okay. red meat. <laughs> right, right, right. You're right. You're right. Exactly. All right. Yeah. Your fourth pick. Oh, sayur lodeh. Ooh, Specifically, amazing. sayur lodeh pakai labu siam. Mm, that's that, that's yeah. amazing. Yep, yeah. yep. Right, right. All right. Fourth pick. Uh, I'm gonna go tahu telor, tahu telor, and right yes. with with ketchup and kacang. That's that's amazing. The one from Tasate is really good. Yeah, or or sate kasnayan as well. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're just we're just shouting out uh, so many restaurants here, but yeah, get get, get your good food, everyone. Yeah, I'm I'm really hungry now. <laughs> exactly, and, and you know it's like 7 p.m. now, so you know. Just to warm up your taste buds, exactly. Yep. yep. <laughs> All right, fifth pick to round it out. Fifth pick, uh, nasi bakar. Ooh, wow. Uh, yang isinya apa tuh? Ikan, ayam, or like? Biasanya sih, gue makanya pakai ikan. Oh yeah, that's yeah. nice. That's so, nice. You know, it's the one wrapped in like banana yeah. leaves. like banana leaves. Yeah, like, yeah. Kayak round gitu kan? Yeah. Yeah, pakai mm-hmm. teri, pakai serai. 
and biasanya like little bit of like fish. Yeah, so, yeah. And then and then yeah. biasanya ada kayak cabai rawitnya beberapa kan. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. Yes, yes. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. I'm gonna go with es campur with my last one. Uh, serve go yeah. a, a little sweet. Tadinya gue mau martabak, but I feel that would be like I think my I think I would throw up after you know those four. So, I think so too. <laughs> going for es campur I think would be uh, would be a good way to end it out. All right, yeah. so my five versus your five in the Footprints podcast Instagram. So everyone, be sure to check that out. But yeah, that's the end of the podcast. Thank you so much, Tasha. Do you have anything else to say before we end this episode? Uh, well, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you, Isaac, for having me on Footprints. For um, sure. And I guess if people are interested in buying cheese smells of turmeric, you can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or like and in the U.S., like pretty much any bookstore would would have it online. Um, and if you're in Indonesia, you can get the book from Ginokunia. Awesome, awesome. Kalau gitu, my name is Isaac Winoto. My name is Natasha Sondak. This is the Footprints Podcast signing out. Bye-bye, everyone. <laughs>